Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We appreciate you spending some time with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Joining us in this edition from Sweden is transportation expert and publisher of The Dispatcher, Michael Senna. Great to have you with us again, Michael. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Michael, you're becoming a regular. I mean, you're going to do this more often than, than I do it pretty soon. <laughs> well, it's, it's always an honor to be, to be invited. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. No, it's always great having you. Michael, you've got a, a new thought-provoking edition of The Dispatcher out, and the lead headline is Creating Standards in an Environment of Mistrust. And you're tackling a tough one here as China attempts to take the lead in developing standards when it comes to a variety of technologies, really. I'll let you explain the issues and, and really why they're so important. Yeah. Well, I was, I was inspired to write this uh, <clears throat> lead article for this month. Um, by what I'd been hearing and seeing with um, with Huawei and and 5G and sanitization in the in the 5G arena, um, I had read that um, because of the well, let's say I don't want to say edict, but the um, the restrictions on uh, Huawei in the United States the people who would be normally participating from U.S. companies and, and agencies in standardization of 5G were, were being a little bit careful. Uh, they weren't participating to the extent that they, they might want to have, have done. And as a result of that, um, the standards efforts were being led much more and participated in, in much more by the Chinese and the, uh, uh, say, the Huawei uh, allies. So I, I decided it might be time to, to take a look at standardization in general for intelligent transport systems and see what has been happening and, and what impact the, um, let's say, the, the rise of China during the last uh, 10, to 10 to 20 years has made. Just as a, as a little background, in the period of uh, January of 1993 through 1996, I was employed by AB Volvo. And um, as a result of that, and because of the work that I was doing, I was included in the uh, the first uh, ISO TC204 meetings on uh, digital map data. Uh, during that four year period, I was, I was an expert from uh, Sweden. When I left uh, full-time employment of, of Volvo, I also had to give up my position as, as, a, as a participant. Um, and there's a long story behind why that's the, why that's the case, but uh, to make a short, a long story very short, there is one agency in each country that has a responsibility for sitting at the table of uh, ISO meetings. And um, to be on that, to, to be able to be part of that, you need to be part of the delegation and there's sort of complicated rules for who participates and who doesn't. So that's a bit of the background. Um, so, what I found through the work that I've been doing, through the research that I that I uh, that I made about what's been happening in, in ITS standards, is that it 
clearly in the in the world of ISO, um, there has been more participation by the the Chinese delegations. But the two committees, the two technical committees, which are uh, looking at at um, vehicle related one, the ISO TC204, which is intelligent transport systems, and uh, ISO TC22, which is vehicle vehicle systems, have been led and continue to be led by the initial, uh, those um, technical committees, primarily the United States, Europe, and in Europe, France, Germany, uh, the UK, um, and Japan. So that's, that was the case then, and it is the case today. One thing that we, we don't really, it sort of in general, we don't look at uh, what's been happening in the, in the UN agencies. Now, ISO is not a UN agency. It was established at the same time as the UN was established. And, I, and that's what I write about in, the, in, the, uh, in this article. And I think that's, that's at least a reason for reading the article, for looking at how ISO was established and why. But it's not like who. The United States can't say, well, we're going to stop funding ISO. So what? <laughs> you know, we don't get our money from you or anyone else. We get our money primarily um, from people of money compared to the total amount of money that's spent by all of the groups, private and public, who participate in ISO, donate their time, pay for their own travel, and take part in these meetings. ISO, unfortunately, from my standpoint, and again, this is part of what, the reason writing this article, ISO does not make standards which have to be implemented. And it's the same, the same is true for, for the UNECE, the UN agency work, uh, WP29. They create a standard which then is a recommendation for implementation within the individual countries. Even at the EU level, there is an organization called SEN, in, in, which is responsible for, for EU standards. But those standards have to be implemented in each one of the countries. They have to be put into law in the individual countries. So what this means is that, that ISO and, and other sort of standards agencies are providing recommendations, but in the end, it's up. And in some cases they do, in many cases they, they don't. Um, I guess you can say the, the summary of, of, uh, of the work that I've done in looking at this is that I believe very strongly that the standards committees and particularly ISO, because it does really have a structure for, for not only developing the standards, but putting them into, into a, a position for having them implemented everywhere that they really need, they need to step up and do more than they're actually doing. They need to take more responsibility. Of course, they can't do that on their own. It has to be part of, of governments deciding that this is actually going to happen. But I'm, I, what I try to do is make the case for a stronger ISO and, and a more centralized role for standardization, which would allow the inclusion and the reason I point to ISO and not to the to the UN organizations, one of the problems that I see with with the approach that the UN has had, is that a country can decide that they represent a country. Now we know that there are two countries representing Korea, but what we don't accept is that there are two countries representing China, 
there are two countries. There is Taiwan, there is the, the um, Republic of China and the, the People's Republic of China. Within the standards organizations, including both the UN and ISO, Taiwan is not, is not represented. So that's on the countryside. The other aspect of this is that there's one individual organization for each country that represents the standardization efforts. Within the United States, there are a number of, of organizations. ANSI is one of them, but there's, there are other organizations that are standardized, standardization organizations. There also are a lot of companies and people working in standards that aren't necessarily connected to these organizations. And that's the other thing that I put into this article, that there is an, an awful lot of, of standardization work that's going on that never gets into ISO, never gets into UNECE. And that's unfortunate uh, because those, they become private is, is by the companies that participate in it. They, they pay for a membership, they get, they get access to the, to the, to the standards activities and, and the, the documents but those are not available generally to the rest of the public. And so you only get to be, to, to use them is if you join and become a member. Um, and I was part of one of these organizations for quite some time, uh, the Adasis Forum. And the Adasis Forum is, has now sort of mushroomed into a number of different kinds of fora. And they together uh, are working to develop standards very much organized around the advanced driver assistance systems, automated vehicles, self-driving cars, and all of those activities could very easily become part of an of a international effort. Um, so I guess finally to summarize, um, I'm calling for more work to be done by a larger group of people that will impact standardization on a global scale as opposed to simply a national scale. Are you calling for some kind of enforcement capability here? Yeah. Yes. And how Talk, would that yes. work? Where would they get the authority to to enforce anything? Well, I look look at uh, I look at the and I give an example of the, of uh, the European Union has standardized ecall European ecall. Uh, they did this at exactly the same time as the Russian Federation was standardizing ECOL. They have a lot of similarities, uh, but they have some major, major differences. You can't use your Russian standard, standard in EU and you can't use the European standard in Russia. But with the European standard, it was standardized at a, at a EU level, commission led, European commission led, EU level, and then it was, it was promulgated as a regulation. And as a regulation, it must be implemented and put into the laws of every single country, 28, now 27. There's no reason why that, that same principle can't be applied on a global scale. The fact that it can be done in 27 or 28 countries in, within the EU, it's, it's similar, but not, not identical because Germany is not Pennsylvania even though they look very much alike. Um, they do. <laughs> they do. I, I think I agree with you. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, uh, a, country, a country, Germany, is not a state, a, a state. So regulations that are put into effect or laws that are put into effect at a, at a, at a national level 
are laws that, are, that impact all of the states, but each state in the United States has, has the authority to develop and to, to put into law its own regulations regarding climate, regarding emissions. And there are a number of those where the states have responsibility. It's the same with the, with the countries in Europe. But if, if there is a law that's put into, that's a law, a regulation that's created at the EU level, it must be put into law because it's now been accepted by the, by the, the leaders of all of the countries. It must be put into law in each one of the, of the states. And there's nothing like that in, in terms of standardization. There's nothing that says, you know, anywhere there's ISO or, or any of these other standards, standard, UNECE, UN organization, ITU. Um, I mean, I, th I think the, the basis for this, for having standards that can be applied internationally, is all there. But unfortunately, it's, it's not, it's either not implemented or people don't feel that it should be implemented. And, and this is, I think, you know, I, I would get a lot of pushback. I'm certain <laughs> from people who say, you know, we don't need this. We need to, we need to have more dispersion. We need to have more individual responsibility within the countries as opposed to less. And I believe that, that that's the case in many areas, but not when it comes to standards. No. And these standards are really focused on safety. I mean, and, and fundamentally as it comes out in, in, in some sense, I mean, that that's the overriding uh, um, aspect of it. And, and so right. the, what, why have, the general public should be concerned here, what the, what the meaning of this is. Right? Well, um, the general public would have absolutely no understanding of a standard for a physical storage format on a navigation system in a vehicle. But if you said to the, to the person, you know, all of those CDs that you bought for your, for your Dodge Dart, um, you can't play them in your, in your Chevy Impala. You got to buy new Chevy Impala CDs. Do you think, and, but it's okay if, an, if a, a company says, you know, all of those CDs that you bought to put into your Volvo for navigation, you can't use them now in your BMW. So, okay, I'll buy new CDs to put in my, I mean, it really does affect us. It does, but we don't explain those, those sorts of things. It's not, it's not that big a deal because not everybody has a navigation system or at least had. Um, and then you, make it, then you make it transparent. It's no longer a CD, it's just there. You know, and, and what do you do? Well, you can't do anything about it. How many people update the navigation systems that are in their vehicle? But if you made it possible for them to simply download something for whatever vehicle they've got and put it in their vehicle, it would be a lot simpler. But uh, that's, I think, the, the whole ITS, the sort of commercial consumer Area. It, I mean, we're getting a little bit of digital breakup. We'll yeah, let the but, audience don't apologize okay. for that. Yeah, but it's um, you know, it's it's in some sense in a in a larger scheme in the U.S. associated with it, interstate commerce and the Interstate Commerce Commission, so that you can actually operate between states. It has aspects of interoperability, so that in fact, if you buy a car that is manufactured here, it can be sold there, and so on. I guess part of the important thing with respect to the the, the China thing is. 
I guess at some point, at least in the U.S., uh, Chinese cars besides Volvo show up in dealerships or something like that. And then what does that imply on what is being sold? And I think in, in the, this current issue of, um, of smart driving cars, there's a comment about uh, some electric vehicles showing up in the U.S. at um, under $10,000 a vehicle. And yep. we'll have to wait to see um, how that hits. Uh, is it going to look like when uh, Japan first started sending cars to the U.S.? I'm just sitting here with yeah, a little you, smile. You had a, you, had a, you had a comment about the uh, the tax incentives. That, yeah, uh, and, and, and then we're giving that. tax incentives for it, yet we're fighting with those guys. I'm not sure exactly how all this, but it's kind of interesting. But in the guts, it really gets to the standardizations to somehow get um, some level of acceptability in terms of designs and so on. And and I think to me, uh, it, it has not only, um, it, it, it really is, is founded in safety aspects where it's most critical with some of the others, as whether or not they're travel-tainment or entertainment, I prefer to call it travel-tainment, whatever. Comments, Michael? The safety aspects are very important and with type approval in many many areas like particularly in the, within the uh, Europe, European Union um, it's quite standard it's quite it's it's important that that the vehicles meet standards that are written down it's not post approval it's pre-approval so before you can put your vehicle on the road you have to go through the tests and the, the tests are at a component level and then they're at the entire whole vehicle level we don't have that in the united states we don't have type approval in the united states you are you you say to the the authorities my vehicle is roadworthy and if it turns out that it's not then you're in trouble but and we recall you know, it <laughs> and it's recalled and then it's a, then it's a big deal so you try right. to do whatever you can yeah uh, one of the things that that I think that the was pointed out in the article that that what the UNECE the WP29 has done with the U, with eCall is that it's created a standard that can be used not only in the countries where there is a, a so-called European eCall or a Russian eCall um, but it can be used everywhere to state that a vehicle is compliant from a crash worthiness standpoint. So we're back into safety, but we're actually we're, we're testing a communication system. Um, and I think even though it's important that the safety aspects work, more and more of the of the those safety aspects are tied to communications. They're tied to connectivity. They're tied to to sensors that that are are using both onboard and offboard uh, messaging. So the <clears throat> the connectivity has become much more important. Now, the Chinese vehicles don't really haven't come into the markets yet. They're they're just beginning to to come in. And part of the reason that they haven't come in, as you as it, most of you you know and most of your listeners know, is that they haven't been able to pass the tests necessary to make them road worthy. They haven't gotten to the point of having those those cars in in position of being acceptable. Uh, but as more and more of them have become electric, and few, few of the, uh, fewer and fewer of the problems are now related to mechanics or related to the to the the functioning of a of an ICE engine, um, they become much easier to to put into the markets. But they still have to come over that hurdle of connectivity. 
And I think that's gonna, that's gonna be a major one for them. Um, I've looked at this at a, at a, at a very careful level uh, and, and connectivity is, is a major issue. Things work in China because it's, everything is, is built in China. But once you take something from China and try to put it into another market, things become very different. And that's the, that's the, the, the hurdle that they're gonna have to come over, and whether it's an electric car or not. And certainly yeah. that winds back to, to the whole 5G issues and so on that are going on now, because as we look forward, I'm sure we'll get to 6G and 7G and 8G, yep. but we're going to go through 5G for a while. And, um, and so that piece of it is, is kind of important. Yeah, very important. Michael, another interesting story in the dispatcher focuses on an investigation of electric vehicle charging. By, by officials in Germany. Yeah, uh, Germany decided that it wanted to be uh, a leader in electric vehicles. Um, and in order to become a leader in electric vehicles, it, it had to do something which um, many other countries are now looking at as, as, as well, is promoting and developing, promoting electric charging, electric charging stations and, and charging points. Uh, they had very, um, let's say, maybe a little bit um, uh, overly optimistic objectives for how quickly they could they could become um, capable of of handling large numbers of cars, electric cars, and they haven't come anywhere near the the levels that they sh they had projected that they should be or would be at at this point. <laughs> Um, that's one problem. The other problem that, that, that's come to light is that police developing, where organizations, whether they're public-private or private, um, have, have been setting rates for charging, which they feel are, or which consumers feel are too high. Um, and for some reason, the German government hadn't made this whole infrastructure for charging cars part of this, the same infrastructure for all of their electrical electricity. It's sort of, they put it out there as separate. And what they found is, is I think, something that's quite, you know, if you thought about it enough, you probably would have come to the conclusion a lot earlier that in order to be able to build up an infrastructure like they're trying to build up, it takes a lot of money. And in order to, to get a return on the investment that it's going to take, people need to charge rates which give you the return. So while they're out there, while the, the German government is out there promoting, and even like the United States, promoting electric cars by giving tax rebates uh, and doing all kind, providing all kinds of incentives, they're not doing the same thing for the for the the base for the fuel that's going to have to run these things, they said, get the charging points in place. You'll earn your money when people start charging. But in order to get there, you have to you have to invest a lot of money. Now, if you look at what te what did, what did Tesla do? I've said well, there was an article I wrote about this a few years ago. What what Tesla what Tesla said is we're not going to be able to sell any cars unless we have chargers. 
they didn't they didn't depend on anyone else to build the charges for them they built the entire network themselves and they continue to build the entire network themselves and they've paid for this this is part of the investment they made this is part of the reason that they lost money for so much so much time besides the fact that they were paying for connectivity that that was enormously expensive particularly in europe uh and and not charging anybody for it they made this investment Okay, now their stock is worth a lot of money. People wonder why. It's it's no magic. <laughs> no magic. No, you don't need to go to Israel and ask somebody why why they're making a lot of money. You know, it's it's a pretty it's and pretty they, straightforward. And they're going to continue because they've made that money. And just yeah, think how much exactly. how so, much they're going to charge for that electricity at the, at some point if they wish to make more money. So because they've done the investment, they can they can turn that yeah. that dial anytime they want. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. and that's that's so the German government. Go ahead, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, the, the German government just it needs to, to it needs to reevaluate their they they need to reevaluate their objectives. They need to get a better understanding of how you how you build up a, a a business. This isn't this isn't a government welfare system. It's it's they're trying to create a business. Um, they shouldn't be pumping money into to incentives unless they've got ways of, of providing um, electricity for them. Th these two things should be working in, in concert. So look, um, uh, sort of a fundamental here, Michael, that I, that I look at. If, if you look at the energy uh, used up by uh, internal combustion engines, it's about equivalent to the total electricity output in a country today. So if you're going to convert that from from gasoline to electricity, you basically have to double whatever you've put in the electrical system up to this point in time, which has been being been built over, uh, I don't know, 140 years now or 130 mm -hmm. years and so on. That is a massive investment that needs that needs to be made. Uh, it's not just, oh my goodness, we'll put a, a solar collector here and it's free and you stick it in there and, you know, it's like your garden lights that never work. I mean, they work yeah. the first day and then don't work. And, you know, there's there's an awful lot there and, and it's an enormous investment. In a sense, back to Tesla, if you look at some of the really good things Tesla's done, it's that. It's, it's made its vehicles, it's put in that infrastructure to make its vehicles viable because they were fighting this, this range anxiety thing for sure. fundamentally, nobody would buy it. Nobody was gonna do it. They put it in there and now people are looking around, holy mackerel, that sucker's there. Yeah. Also related to Tesla, uh, yeah. you, in, the, uh, in the dispatcher, you take a look at the shape automakers are in after six months of, of COVID-19. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tale of two cities. <laughs> well, there, there, are three, there are three headlines in that, in that section. One of, the, one of them is you can't build cars from your den. Um, this is um, the shape of the car industry is, is, is what it is for a number of reasons. You can't, not only can you not build cars from your den, you, and we've, we've found out what the, the meaning of essential worker is. I mean, I'm not an essential worker. Um, anybody who can sit at home and do what we're doing is not an essential worker, but <laughs> there are, and it turns out there aren't actually a lot of us. 
I mean, in terms of, of actual percentages, and there's two issues ago when I wrote about this, also, the, we're, we're sort of a, anywhere around 30, approximately 30%. So if, if we said we're all, everybody who's non-essential is going to stay at home and everybody who's essential has to go back to work. Um, it's a lot yeah, of but, but we earn more than 50%, okay? Yeah, well, At 30%, uh, it might be even more than 70%. Might be, listen, never mind, the, we, come, won't, we won't even yeah, look at the numbers. because it's Come the revolution. It's come the revolution. It, it, it's ugly, yeah. but go ahead, well, unfortunately. Come the revolution whatever, in the yeah. next election. You know, yeah, when, yeah, when yeah, the, go uh, ahead. Whatever her name is, gets elected president. Uh, um, the fact is, if, we, if you couldn't work, if you couldn't, get in your car, you couldn't go to, to a place of work, you couldn't build the cars, you couldn't sell the cars because even the, even the dealers were closed. Um, all of these are, are essential to people and people couldn't go there because they didn't, they didn't know whether they're gonna have a job to be able to buy a vehicle. Um, the, the, the car industry was completely shut down. I mean, we have, we have four companies in Sweden that are primarily car companies or car and truck companies. Um, those nobody could go to work, including the people who were actually building the cars. So you can't build them, you can't sell them. And this is why, again, we come back to Tesla and, and Elon Musk. This is why Elon Musk was ready to go to jail to, to get his workers back to build the cars that he had already sold. They all, every one of those cars, almost every one of those cars, like 80% of the cars were already sold and he had to get, deliver them in order to get the money. And he did this, even he went to bat and, and fought against the, the uh, authorities in California to get his people back to work so that they, can, they could build the cars. So that's, that's one of the issues, but, but, but goodness. And, and, man, and, uh, and, and to get, yeah, if you look at essential workers, if you're working on an assembly line, you need to be there to put like gizmos on top of whatever's and the, 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 and screw here and, and, and cut there, as opposed to the rest of us, we're there on our little whatever yeah. bababoos and yes. we have no need. I mean, love to be near you, Michael, and, yeah. and so on. But I mean, look, um, hey, we can do this. But if you're building a car, if you're involved in a assembly line, if you're in a meat, meat processing plant, if you're in a chicken processing plant, if you're if you're part of making foods, if you're in a an Amazon warehouse, who's who's, who's maybe there are a bunch of pickers and, and automated systems that go grab stuff, but you, you need some people there in there that have the, the appropriate dexterity, not only in arms and limbs, but also brains. Yeah. Uh, to, to do that to stuff, do work. and they really are essential, as well as in the hospitals and and and, and uh, the, yeah. the medical places. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, those are, those are really important. And the well, people the issue... that then go clean the places and, mm. and 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 make them sanitary and get rid of that little virus thingy. But the, I mean, Toyota's down thirty five percent. Nissan's down fifty percent. Uh, Mitsubishi is leaving the European market completely. Um, you know, and Tesla's at nineteen hundred dollars a share. <laughs> the next uh, title was: Did any company beat the virus? And the answer is Tesla. And 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 why? Why did it? Why was it possible? First of all, it, it had pre-sold most of those cars, and people can buy the car. At least most people can buy the car from the comfort of their their sofa uh, or their office. Um, 
I, I point out in the newsletter, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I saw what Corvette built last year with a mid-engine Corvette. I said, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And you should see what if you go on the, their configurator and you build one in orange with a black racing stripe and orange uh, seat belts. I mean, the thing is like, wow. And so here I am thinking, oh, man, got to have a Corvette, whatever, you know, and I actually tried to order one. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. Yeah. First of all, and? apparently they're sold yeah. out because they didn't make any. So you got to wait till 2021. They even say you got, have to come into the dealership. I said to them, have you heard of Tesla? I mean, look, how are mm. you, how are you really, I went to the configurator and I configurated what I, I mean, do I really need to go in there? Forget the virus. Why do, what, what are you go, going to try to upsell me? And then so on. And then tell me as soon as I drive the thing out of the garage, out of the parking lot, oh, that thing's crap, trade it in and buy a new one. I'm just going to wait for the Tesla Roadster, the hell with them. I mean, you know. Talk to me, Michael. Yeah. I wrote, <laughs> and Fred. Yeah. Uh, I want to write about. You know, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, this is yeah. all fantasy in my head. But go ahead. Go ahead. This was this was part of the issue. This was part of the the um, of the August issue um, about buying cars over the internet, and one of the, one of the article articles in here was uh, one of the readers. One of Dispatcher readers came back and said, "Well, Tesla isn't isn't 100 on the internet, and and their incentives for for selling cars and it's it's very good. Uh, but on the other hand, most of of what you buy from Tesla, you're buying over the internet. You're not con you're not having to configure and then go to a dealer and get a price and then have the dealer have order the car for you. You're buying it directly from the. So that's part of the reason why." I think uh, Tesla was in a better position than than all of the other company, companies. That it it got all of its staff back to work much more quickly than every everyone else. Um, and the way it sells the cars and the way that it delivers the cars, it was it was organized better than all all the other companies to be able to get through this this uh, situation without losing lots of money. Yeah, and and I think it's it's really it's really evolved in terms of the customer. It's fundamentally different customer service, mm -hmm. and and in some sense it fits in with the Amazon model and what seems to be what everybody's getting trained on. They're getting trained on being able to buy online, and order it, and having a lot of things supported and done and delivered as you wanted, and the opportunity to if it doesn't come back come to you correct leader take it back and, and sort of all those things and I and the car industry I think is going to have to rethink its dealership models I mean you know and how how dealerships work we'll continue in just a moment but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor the smart ETFs smart transportation and technology ETF symbol MOTO to get more info head to MOTOETF.com on that website, we want to point out, it's a good idea to read the white paper that they have there. It's titled The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. 
It's got great information to help you make an informed decision. You may know that ETFs are a smart way, can be a smart way to spread risk with investments, focusing on a particular category of stocks. The site again is MOTOETF.com. Alan, in the latest Smart Driving Car newsletter, you highlight what has become an all too familiar story. A 60 year old black man in Georgia, Julian Lewis, fatal during a traffic stop over a broken taillight. In this case, the state trooper has been fired and charged with murder. But you, you've made this one of the top stories in the newsletter. Well, I, I think, you know, and then there's some discussions on also um, uh, in uh, about uh, the, the way municipalities uh, uh, fund their budget through uh, traffic violations and so on. And just thinking about that, we just have to stop that. I mean, it's got to be probably the most regressive way to capture money by a locale is to, is to do traffic stops. And, and in some sense, traffic regulations, if you look at, at the interactions of most people with the police, when does it come in a traffic violation sort of thing? And, and, and yes, some of those things are fine. Many of them aren't pretty. And then what does everybody have? Just a terrible view of, of the police. Uh, that's that's in the best situations and my goodness what, what do we have well-trained intelligent individuals with guns uh, doing traffic enforcement I mean come on what what the heck and in some sense maybe it's up to the automobile industry too to put the darn technology in these vehicles that doesn't let them be misused that does doesn't let them um, uh, excessively speed, go through red lights, not stop at stop signs, hit pedestrians, come on. I mean, you have the technology to do this instead of going out there and selling us a dream that we can do donuts on our neighbor's lawns and go who knows how fast with the little thing down there saying, don't, you know, don't do this. It's close courses, the clouds of dust go up behind a Mercedes fleet running at who knows what speed on it. Come on, auto industry, let's get responsible here because what it ends up doing is it really just ends up absolutely uh, uh, having the interaction of society with police be bad. And this thing with respect to a broken taillight. You know, and it's police, especially, as, as you obviously point out here, it's not just society in general. It's a particular aspect part of society, the black community. Well, it's even, and, it's, and it's worse there, or people point out that it's worse there. My goodness, if you get a, if you have a broken taillight, why do you have a broken taillight? Is because probably you'd rather feed your family than fix your taillight. You get pulled over, you get a ticket. You have then now, and of course you're going to get a ticket if you're one kind of person as opposed to another kind of person, another kind of person. Oh, sorry, you have broken taillight. Here's a warning or something. Somebody else, here's a ticket, but to do. I don't know if that's really true. I think a lot of people have a perception that that's true. And a lot of the people have experienced that's true. Now I have this ticket, I don't pay it. Okay, there's now a warrant out 
for the non-payment of this ticket. It goes out. You're not driving through Princeton. It's associated, that warrant is associated with your license plate. They look up your license plate, they see, oh my goodness, he has a warrant for his arrest and also a broken taillight. You pull him over, not only now do you get a second ticket for a broken taillight, you then get arrested and so on and whatever because of the warrant out for your arrest because you didn't pay the darn other ticket. How do you get out from this spiral? I mean, talk about, I don't wanna call it a black, I mean, this is a real black hole. I mean, you can't get out. That The gravity in that sucker is pulling you in. You have no opportunity. Why? For a broken taillight? Come on. Geez, there should be a fund out there to, hey, if you're poor, we'll fix your broken taillight. Why? Because we're going to make a whole world safer because now you you won't have the broken taillight. There's reason to do that as opposed to, oh, my goodness. Oh, if there are all these automations and people don't go through red lights and, and don't speed anymore, we're not going to have enough money to run our little community because we we our community is, is funded by these damn tech. What? Really? Stop. It's been going on too long. Michael, what do you think? <laughs> well, there's, there's nothing to disagree with you. I'll, I'll just extend it one to one more. One of the, one of my pet peeves is, is the whole issue of, of uh, charging tolls coming in, particularly tolls for coming in, coming in and going out of cities. Again, it's been a, it's, <laughs> On the, congestion on the, pricing, on the, you're, you're congestion, against congestion pricing. You're, you're, you're uh, against been, congestion pricing. Yeah, I've been I've been against congestion pricing. My forever. goodness, if there's congestion pricing, I can go into the city and whatever, and and there yeah. no there'll be nobody there, and I'll gladly pay whatever the 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 uh, the two pence that they want for it. Well, yeah. maybe Michael's point is that you can afford to pay it, but what about those who can't? And exactly. I, I, of course, that's. <laughs> yeah. I, I know I mean, it's Michael's that point. Was, that's. That was the point you've been making. That was the point you were making about paying a ticket for the for the uh, broken taillight. I mean, there are people who will continue to have a broken taillight or 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 other other things wrong with their vehicles that that endanger themselves and other people as well because they don't have the money to do it. It's the same with with uh, charging charging people to drive places where they need to drive in order to get to get to where they need to need to be. They do, they're not just running around or driving around. <laughs> To, to have fun. <laughs> the only guy that's driving well, around for no good stated. reason is me. It's me that's driving around for no good reason. You know, it's yeah. not the people that really need to be there. I agree. People say, well, whatever, if we have driverless vehicles and, and all this mobility, this is going to increase vehicle miles travel. And I say, great. Guess what? You get a lot more value. You only travel because it improves, it improves your fundamental uh, benefit. Benefits. Otherwise, exactly. if you don't improve your benefits, you stay at home. So it's fundamental yeah. improvement, quality of life. We have more people traveling, exactly. more better quality of life out there. Oh, but those people, they aren't allowed to travel. It's only me. Let's keep them off the road. Let's put them in mass transit so that, in fact, then I can with my never mind. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> For the first time, at least for now, Alan, NVIDIA's server business uh, brought in more money than the company's core video game uh, graphics card business last quarter. 
I'm so glad a couple of years ago I bought like two shares or something like that. I'm not a rich guy. That's why I did. At least I didn't short Tesla at 400, you know, which is what I wanted to do. But anyway, um, yeah. Oh my goodness. Here it is a gaming company all of a sudden making a ton of money on AI, not making a ton of money on servers. At some point, you know, if we really do all this electronics and, and stuff for cars, it's going to be NVIDIA chips in there, at least for a large portion of them. Whew. I'm pumping it up so that I make even more money off my two <laughs> shares, guys. So go out and buy. The, no, <laughs> never mind. Whatever. Uh, uh, the, Michael. It, come, it also comes at a time when the, the video game business and computer sales for gaming are really booming with so many people yeah, at home. Right, so. okay, so more people are doing this stuff, okay, so therefore the server business is gonna go up, the gaming business keep, is keep going in mind, to go up. In, the, the, NVIDIA, was, NVIDIA was, un yeah. say again, Michael. Soft, SoftBank unloaded NVIDIA. It, it, was a, <laughs> it was a major, a major investor in NVIDIA. Oh, but it, here, here we are, <laughs> NVIDIA is now trying to buy arm yeah from soft which is owned primarily owned by by uh, by softbank yeah uh and and there's there's a lot of of there are a lot of people who are who are really upset about the possibility that nvidia is now going to be in a position of controlling the, the their possibilities for using arm technology i mean arm is they make two billion a year i mean they're <laughs> they're they're a peanut company but their chips are everywhere i mean their yeah. chips are important for everything yeah. Yeah. Uh, so NVIDIA has a possibility of... Uh, so so I, I, what happened to Intel and all this? I mean, you know, whatever. Okay. Hey, isn't it, isn't it the objective of capitalism to create a monopoly so that you can really make... Uh, never mind, whatever. <laughs> Alan, there, there, are a number of there are a number of reports from the Reason Foundation that you talk about in yep. the newsletter. Uh, one is headlined, Five Steps to Guide Transportation Spending and Planning during the coronavirus pandemic. They talk about modernizing existing systems, land focusing and focusing on, on shifting transportation funding to, for more accessibility needs of, of lower income populations. Yeah, I, and I, 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 I'm glad that Alan put that out. I think really, if, if we're going to do public sector fund, funding, I think we should be, that funding should be going to the people who need it the most, which is people at the bottom and, and what their mobility needs are first and for all. Look, they built a great system for us all to use, all the autobahns and freeways and da da dees da da das and who knows how many lanes out there and whatever. And, and, and that's great. And, and, but I think the, the mobility for for a lot of folks who have been put in various places, the the whole aspect of we're going to get over the pandemic, at least I hope, uh, um, uh, unless Darwin just gets rid of this version of Homo sapiens and brings in another next version, or I don't know, whatever. But um, uh, but and there's going to be some impact associated with with a lot of people were traveling a lot long distance to some workplaces that maybe they really don't need to certainly go there every day. Um, those of us that basically interact on using computers instead of face-to-face, -face, uh, I mean, it is nice face-to-face, -face, but, uh, but 
you know, do you really need to bring 3,000 people down to Wall Street every day if you're, you know, a trading company? Those people probably do just as well at home. They're on the phone anyway and on computers. They, they don't need to take New Jersey Transit or Metro North or whatever to, to get to, to Wall Street. They can do it from home. And so that, that's going to mean that's going to mean there's going to be a change in the living patterns and where people both choose to live. It's probably going to have impact on on uh, on house sales. Uh, you know why do houses turn over every five years or whatever the the, the rule of thumb is is because people change jobs. Why? Because then you know. But if you change jobs and don't have to move, then maybe you won't move. And may or maybe you'll move. Who knows where? Like where Michael lives out, and who knows? I'm gonna yeah. move to Sweden. We're all coming to Sweden, baby. <laughs> uh, no, you're not. <laughs> oh, geez, you won't let me in. Damn it! No, no. <laughs> Political uh, asylum. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, I'm, along the lines of what you're saying, Alan, uh, Cranes has a report with a survey saying the return to the office will be much slower than expected. Well, I guess that's what we're seeing. I mean, Uber's looks like they're going to chop, uh, you know, their expenses by saying, hey, don't come back until after June 21. And, uh, and and here, we'll give you $500. I mean, come on, what's it take to support a person in an office, you know, per month, whatever? I mean, it's, it's non-trivial. Give them 100 square feet, whatever. Certainly, if you're doing a Manhattan or, 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 or San Francisco or, or even even Mountain View, it's non non cheap. Then you have to house their car or whatever, and 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 parking lot. You don't have to do that anymore. Oh, mm. Mm. whatever. <laughs> it's a great cost savings, man. No wonder the market's going on. Look. I mean, revenue hasn't really uh, diminished, but expenses have changed. You know, they've been able to lay off some employees, let the government pay them instead of us paying them. And guess what? Uh, they're still getting the same amount of work done. That means that chunk of money that was going in for those employees goes right into the pocket. Mm. As, as, long as, you're, as long as you're producing something that you can't hold in your hand. Yeah. That's true. Or you can't sit on. Yeah. Or lie down on. Or be cooled by. Or wear on the top of your head. And I, I, I totally agree with you. There's a, there, there are so many jobs that can be performed. And I'm, and I'm doing that. I mean, I, yeah, I, have, I, have a, I, I have a client. And that client, as of March 13th, said, no one can come into the office. Yeah. You, everything that we're doing, we have to do remotely. But at a certain point in time, a car will be delivered. A car will be produced. It will be delivered. It yeah. needs to be in, it needs, needs to, to be tested. All of the components of this of the from start to beginning to end will all have to be touched, yep. and you cannot do that remotely. Right. And I'm seeing through the through the last six months, I'm seeing the benefits that a lot of people have had of being able to stay at home, not commute, and the and the absolute very very important issues that that can only be discussed in one room together, 
so that they can be resolved quickly, easily, and, and completely. And trying to do that over conference calls where people are in from anywhere from the Middle East to the, to the Far East to North America, South America, and everywhere is extremely difficult. So I think for some people selling stock, yeah, maybe. You know, people producing magazines, yeah, they, there's most of the magazine journalists are armchair journalists anyway. Um, but if you're, if you're trying to do something that actually is producing something that people are going to have to use, whether it's a computer or a car or, or food, you can't do that from home. Yeah, the assembly lines need people. A lot of, a lot of the assembly lines that manufacture stuff, a lot of it can be done and is being done automatically, but you need people at every look at various stages along that process. Yeah, but Al, Al, I'm, I'm go, I go further than that. Yeah, okay. You can't just say that all of the people who don't have to be on the assembly line can work at home. And all the people who do have to work on the assembly line have to be there. You can't do that. You know, it's like saying, well, if the doctor isn't needed, the doctor can just do everything at home and he can communicate to everything. But in the end, somebody's got to go inside of you and pull out the, pull out the, you know, the has foot of intestine and sew you back up again so that you can go on living. I mean, there yeah, are certain I, things that need to be done, even by the people who for a certain period of time can actually work from home. Whether you're the CEO of a company who actually turns out to be an essential worker because that guy, no CEO is a, have been working at home if they have their, their, they haven't been doing a good job at all. And all the people who need to be close to the engineers and need to be close to the production people, those people have to be there. And then if you're running a company, the majority of those people have to be in close contact with each other. They can, as we have, we've been forced to see people working at home for an extended period of time. But then you've got companies like Volkswagen with their sales down and profitability down enormously. I mean, billions and billions and billions of dollars and euro have been lost as a result of this. We can't just say, well, everything is gonna be different because now everybody's gonna work from home. They're not. Well, uh, the education community of which I am part of, okay? I mean, if you, look, hey, we are virtual. I'm not, I'm basically not allowed in my office. We're trying to do this. I have to end this in, in eight minutes because I have to go do advising yeah. to some student in, in who knows where, maybe the Czech Republic and so on, who's going to create a pod with two other, with a student who's going to come from, from Belgium to live in Prague with another Prague student student the three of them are creating a pod to study at Princeton you know and we're gonna we're gonna see how good the education is I'm sorry I think I think you know we we did it we did it in the spring because we had to we patted ourselves on the back and said man we did a good job but that's only relative to doing nothing uh not relative yeah. to hey what it would have been as a spring semester you know any year prior to to this past sure. year and we'll see what happens this fall and so mm -hmm. on i mean university of, of north carolina or something like that what they brought the students in for one week send them home send everybody home except the football team football team's gonna go out there and play but i mean sure. <laughs> that there were like a hundred <laughs> students who got sick or something or, or tested positive after, of course, and when they come back to campus, it's party time. You know? Well, but I think we need, I need a party. 
darn it, I want to throw a party. Uh, we need to have our, our summit. We need to have our Tuesday night at my house affair. That's right. So on. Yes. You know, we really yes. do need to. I mean, this. We really do need it. We need it so bad. It might be worth getting the damn thing. You know, finally, because we're going to get it anyway, whether it's now or later. I mean, are they really? Good thing those Russians are out there testing the virus, uh, the the the, the <laughs> vaccine. Man, uh, go ahead. Well, Either you all die, and we know. Oh, we're not touching it, or you're all great, and we oh, we want some of that. I don't know. Well, Alan, you mentioned the summit. It's on the calendar for October 20th through 22nd. If you go to smartdrivingcar.com. It is and it's, right now, you're, it's, the plan is virtual. Well, of course, it's virtual. <laughs> they, I mean, if I, if I were to say, oh. They're not letting you in your office. So. <laughs> oh, my, I mean, I can't even go to my office. What would we do? We could do it, you know, at 42 Cleveland Lane or something like that. I don't know, whatever. But uh, um, Yeah, we're still going to try to do it. Um, uh, we need to figure out a good way to have interaction. Okay. It can't be one way. It has to look, because when you go to these things, you mix, everybody contributes. You don't just sit there and, you know, drink from the fire hose. Yeah. You, 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 yes. you have your own fire hose you put out there or something, you know, and it's really important. And, and if we can't do that, then, you know, uh, we'll just wait. I don't know. Still trying to do it. Well, Michael, it's been really great having you with us again. Thank you so much. for It always is. It's great. My pleasure. We insight. have a lot of fun, don't we? I mean, yes. well, this is very serious stuff, but, uh, and there are some fundamentals that people really need to need to pay attention to and, and then the details too. And, and anyway. Our thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF again is MOTO. And for more information, go to MOTOETF.com. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. You can get that smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and please stay safe. Thanks, everybody. And Michael, thank you. It's always wonderful. Another great uh, edition. And um, let's just keep having some fun. <laughs>